Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Joining us today for a quick reaction to Canada's new federal excise tax on nicotine vaping products is Claude Bates, tobacco control policy expert and former director of Action on Smoking and Health UK. Clive, thanks for coming back on the show. Great to join you, uh, Brent. Always a pleasure. So this new federal excise tax just went into effect October 1st. There's still a bunch of pain and anguish to go as it gets fully implemented. What are your thoughts top line on it? It's a really bad idea from a public health point of view. Um, we know that vaping and smoking uh, are linked as economic substitutes. So as the demand for one goes up, the demand for the other goes down. As the price for one goes up, the demand for the other goes up. So it's no mystery, it should be no mystery that imposing a tax on vaping will increase cigarette smoking. And that will have, therefore, a negative effect on health. So why Health Canada uh, or the Canadian authorities have decided that this is a good idea is beyond me. It will just lead to more smoking, more illness, more death, more costs, more loss of productivity. One of the things that the numbers bear out a bit is that in a short period of time, it could literally gut the entire infrastructure of the Canadian vaping industry. So maybe that might be an outcome they're looking for. Well, depending on the level of the tax, if it's really punitive, it will render uh, vaping products uncompetitive relative to cigarettes or other, uh, uh, other nicotine products. And if it does that, of course, those businesses will fail and there will be nothing left. Um, one of the key arguments for, that people have in practical terms, forget public health, uh, is that switching to vaping saves them a lot of money. Okay, so they're not going to give up on that. Um, what will happen is that the respectable vaping companies and vaping stores will withdraw because the business model is no longer viable. And what will happen is that people will mix their own. They'll buy nicotine concentrates, they'll buy flavors, they'll do this all under the radar, they'll avoid tax, relatively easy to do, and lo and behold, we'll have a black market in what used to be good vaping products, uh, good legal vaping products. And that's because people place a high value on their health and they don't want to be taxed into the grave by somebody in the Exchequer or Health Canada saying, no, 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 you've got to pay more for this thing that's saving your life. So they will take evading action acting in their own interests and on their own initiative, they'll get round the tax by finding the ingredients and making it themselves. And then an informal commerce will develop. Um, so people will make it for other people in a kind of cottage industry. And before you know it, the established vaping infrastructure will be gone and there will be a black market instead. It seems to me that we'll take sales tax, for instance. Everybody's used to sales tax. Some provinces have sales taxes specifically on vaping products, but an excise tax, well, those are, that's a sin tax. And there must, there's signaling that's going on with a tax like this out to the Canadian populace. It's completely ridiculous, but unfortunately it's in the line, it's in line with where Health Canada has been taking the debate here, you know, with the, with the nicotine cap and the flavor bans and all the other things that they're doing that are restrictive. They're constantly sending signals that they don't invest to low-risk vaping. And the tax is just another uh, additional element uh, that is going to make that transition harder to do lawfully with high-quality 
well-assured, consumer-protective products. Um, so either people will jump back to smoking because it's too much hassle and too expensive, or they'll jump into uh, a more dangerous, informal vaping market in which people are buying liquids overseas, maybe importing them or mixing their own or buying nicotine concentrate mix their own. It's a really bad idea. They should really just let the vaping industry do its work on the cigarette industry and reap the benefits of that instead of intervening all the time to make a mess of it and make it more difficult. Our viewers in Canada have a lot of esteem for you, uh, Clive. They know that you have been watching the market here and the growth of vaping products for a long time. Are you surprised about what's happened here in Canada? And if so, how so? Brent, it's exasperating, to be honest. Uh, if you jump back to, say, 2018, um, Canada was in a really good place on this stuff, had an enlightened view of, um, you know, how vaping could help suppress smoking, how it could help with health inequalities, how vaping could reach the poorest smokers, be advantageous. It wasn't particularly a big problem for youth, but even if it was, it was diverting young people away from smoking. Then all hell broke loose. Um, a, a, a really poor, error-strewn paper was published, caused a moral panic in reaction, and everything changed. All the mindsets changed from being open to tobacco harm reduction to being hostile towards it and being hostile towards vaping. And I date the change in the approach in Canada back to that paper, which frankly is so terrible should have been retracted and actually has been corrected because it was so full of errors. And I'm afraid Canada has yet to come back off the ropes, bounce back and get back to where it was in 2018 before, which was in a much sense, much more sensible and much more sane position than it is now. In a way, that paper was Canada's version of Evali. I think it was. Uh, that, that paper played the same role in creating a, a moral panic uh, that uh, two things in the United States, youth vaping and um, Ivali have created. And you're, you're right, that was, a, that was a, a decisive moment, yet it was based on flawed data that was later corrected. And I, I, I think Canadians should feel very let down by the academics that did that and the impact that it has had on the public health and tobacco control trajectory that has been followed ever since. The thing about that paper that struck really hard was the fact that it basically said after vaping became legal in Canada, that teen smoking went up. Yeah, that was the problem. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I remember when I first heard that, I'm like, oh my God, that really is bad if that is actually what's happened. Of course, it's not what happened. Teen teams fell quite dramatically um but the kind of you're going to have the vaping and you're going to have even more smoking played into this sort of gateway effect um moral panic narrative and you know the rest is history it changed changed the thinking in canada once and for all and unfortunately even though the paper was corrected and the claim was withdrawn the change you know there was no change in the policy mindset that followed that 
You know, it's interesting, Clive, that we just came off a discussion on the United States, which is out there. You guys go take a look for it. And, you know, I, I can't help but think that Bloomberg money's got to be involved in what's happened in Canada somehow, somewhere. But I don't know of any evidence of that. And I've not heard that in any credible manner. But boy, it, it certainly feels like that type of influence is going on here. I don't know of any evidence that they're, they're involved, but of course, um, Canada shares a border with the United States and there's a tremendous flow of information and ideas across the border in both directions. And I suspect what's happened is that um, the Canadian institutions, uh, Canadian institutions like Canadian Cancer Society and some of the other activist organizations have just bought in to the moral panic narrative and the mindset that's been created in the United States about this, just because of the overwhelming volume of, you know, distorted science, advocacy pitches, the, the way a strong narrative has been created around flavored vaping products. And they've gone, well, yes, we're in the same situation. We'll have some of that. And they have the same kind of conflicts. There wouldn't be any of these people wouldn't have jobs if nicotine vaping was harmless. Ultimately, they have to make nicotine vaping a problem, and the United States have shown them how to do that. So I suspect they're borrowing ideas rather than relying on money, but I have no specific knowledge of the funding arrangements. What's your advice to, you know, vaping consumers in Canada that are about to face this tax? To vaping consumers, I say, look, be patient. Keep making your case, keep telling your story, keep explaining what it means for you, what it's meant for your family, what you know about other people, how it's playing out in the community, often with the poorest and most disadvantaged people. When you describe what actually happens in practice, it cuts through in a way that politicians can understand in a way that a thousand graphs and odds ratios and statistical calculations don't. And you've got to remember that the statistics is behind you as well. It's just harder to explain. But those stories, the narratives, the understanding of what's actually happening to real people on the ground and how it's changed their life for the better, that's the most compelling evidence in my view. Now, people will dismiss it as anecdotes, but when you have a thousand, ten thousand anecdotes, that's evidence. That's people telling you that this works when this did. And really, public health people should be capable and willing and curious enough to listen to that and act accordingly. And maybe one day they will.